hello, in the beginning there was a big bang which led me to the creation of brief history of time. Now from beyond the grave. I present you something even greater. Doug and Pick's bad, yet surprising good, film and TV podcast. Come on, show the movie! And welcome to Doug and Pick's bad, yet surprisingly good, film and TV podcast. You're listening to the voice of Pix and on the telephone, uh, I don't know why I said telephone, it should be mobile device or something like that, something more more hip. I, I have just turned 40 so I do talk in kind of ancient speech. But via via mobile and WhatsApp I have my partner in crime, Duke, on the line. <laughs> you and I met through being in the same workplace in a in a school setting. Um, I myself am a media teacher and have a huge kind of influence in my life from from film. I worked at Blockbuster for ten years, but I, I've been obsessed with film. And the whole point of this this podcast is just for Duke and I to chat about our love of movies, review movies, TV shows, and yeah, just generally go from there. That sounds absolutely exactly what I was going to say. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of miss Blockbuster as well. Um, I didn't I didn't have a Blockbuster card. I didn't go there regularly, but um, it was weirdly enough more for video games because it was either pay 40 quid to buy it or you could pay like a fraction of that just to hire it for a couple of nights and if it was a straight enough you know a straightforward enough game you could probably get it done if you just didn't leave your bedroom for two straight days and you could maybe get it finished but yeah i suppose my sort of film kind of background was uh, two and a half years at anodian cinema so time served i started the summer that the dark knight rises brave and the amazing spider-man with um andrew garfield okay out within like a couple of weeks of each other so it was a pretty it was a baptism of fire i got chucked in at the deep end but yeah no it was it was good i, I enjoyed watching films beforehand and i had quite a lot of friends that you know were into the, the well, almost like the modern classics like you know tarantino and stuff like that and i got given a lot of dvds and just ended up really you know kind of getting into films that way watching things like fight club and kill bill things like that and you know working in the cinema just kind of fueled that fire a bit more and you know who doesn't love going to see free films especially if they're like brand new so yeah it's kind of my, my film background i don't do really anything to do with films apart from watch them and talk about them so yeah i've got less of a qualification than you dave i'm not sure i i have a a qualification um <laughs> other other than just passion uh garbage filled knowledge i i can't remember what i did yesterday i can remember the years that films came out taglings for things that are on movie posters stuff that i haven't even seen i can see a trailer once and pretty much remember like all that you know who directed it who was in it and is that information vital not really my 
my first recollection of film is with Wes Craven. My uh, mum and dad rented Nightmare on Elm Street from, not from Blockbuster, before Blockbuster it was Ritz, uh, Ritz <laughs> Video Club and, that, and before that it was Target Video Club. Next again day they, they of course they went out leaving me with my, my three older brothers. they decided it would be hysterical to basically sit on top of me on the couch and force me to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street, which they did. I was I was five. It gave me nightmares. I thought Freddy was coming out of the walls to get me. I had to sleep in my parents' bed for about a month afterwards. However, my favourite genre of all time is, is horror. I, I think there's nothing better than watching something in the dark and being scared. It's kind of like your fight or flight moment. You get that adrenaline rush. So Wes Craven has always been uh, someone that I'll, I'll go back to. He's very much reinvented horror over the years. I mean, he did that with Nightmare on Elm Street. He started the hills have eyes in the 90s he went back to horror with, with scream and kind of did it all again listen asshole no you listen you little bitch you hang up on me again i'll cut you like a fish understand yeah i've, I've always been drawn to horror more than any other kind of genre just because I, I i just love to be scared we definitely know that i would run away um <laughs> if, it's, if it's if we're talking fight or flight mode uh when when i was watching annabelle with my lovely wife it was about one o'clock in the morning and we had the flat and complete darkness now my youngest daughter at the time she was roughly about the size of a of a doll um, and we had the living room door shut and Normally when we watch a horror and we need to get up for a toilet break we, we do have to pause the movie and put the lights on and things like that because it's like a big deal especially if you're in a scary kind of place and I paused I said no I'm going to go to the toilet and opened the door and my daughter was uh, sleepwalking and she was standing right outside the door. We are beyond terrified. We don't know what's going on or what to do. Can you help us? Yes we can. Firstly, there's no such thing as Annabelle, and there never was. Ghosts don't possess such a power. I think what we have here is something extremely manipulative. It's something inhuman. It was a big mistake acknowledging this, though. And through that, the inhuman spirit tricked you. You gave it permission to infest your lives. What's an inhuman spirit? It's something that's never walked the earth in human form. It's something demonic. So the doll was never possessed? No, no, it was used as a conduit. It was moved around to give the impression of possession. Demonic spirits don't possess things. They possess people. It wanted to get inside of you. Being the perfect size of a doll, and you're watching a film about a possessed doll, I opened the door, the hallway was in total darkness, she's standing there, she's also got red hair, Annabelle's got red hair. I screamed like a girl, I jumped over the couch, 
and I ran out the kitchen, leaving my lovely wife sitting on the sofa. Uh, so we, we definitely know if, I, if something happens that I run away screaming. Uh, so that's, that was that was very enjoyable experience for my wife because she just sat laughing her head off. But yeah, she, she, she knows that she'll be left to face the music when everything goes wrong. Um, I'm, I'm out of there. Uh, that, that, that is an incredible, that is an incredible story. That's kind of terrifying and funny at the same time, just because you know what's going to happen. But um, I've not had a great deal of um, people in my life sleepwalking. But my aunt, many years ago, we went on holiday with my aunt to Spain, and she, in her in her sleep, managed to go from her room next door to my parents' room and actually put in, actually swipe the, the key card for the door, you know, in her sleep in order to get in and then just kind of stood at the bottom of the the bottom of the room. My mum kind of woke up asking, are you okay? And there was no response. So my parents were a bit on edge after that and uh, I, I don't really remember what happened. I, I was asleep, ironically, for all this. My mum, I just remember my mum explaining it to me later and I just thought, well, that's nightmare fuel. That's, uh, that's absolutely terrifying. But I hadn't seen any horror film prior to that so I was actually thinking since you mentioned it I think the first proper scary film I watched and I didn't even watch the entire thing was American Werewolf in London oh. I got to just yeah. ask the Moore scene and yeah it was too much for me but I was like five I was like four or five <laughs> and my mum was like you know you don't have to watch this <laughs> you know it is quite scary and I re-watched it in my 20s I think I was in uni and I just, there was like a bunch of horror films that I thought, right, I've, I've not even seen these at this point, so I'm going to watch them whether they've been given good reviews or not. And things like Nosferatu and um, uh, The Blair Witch Project, it was a good night, it was a pretty long night, but I watched those kind of things and American Werewolf in London was in it. And it's dangerously close to a comedy. Like it's well, yeah, not, it is. It's really it, that serious. It's really. uh it's definitely a satire. I've I've got some very fond memories as well of American Werewolf in London. Mainly, I think for the for the special effects. The the subway scene used to terrify me when I used to watch it because you you just had the you never saw the wolf and it was just the camera stalking the, the guy down the escalators and along the corridors. But no, the the it, when it's funny, it's very funny as well. Everything in the slaughtered lamb. I mean, you've even got you've got Rick Mail in 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 that pub scene. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. Um, I totally forgot that he was he was in it until you mentioned it. But yeah, it was as soon as one of them points out that thing on the wall and like someone throws a dart and it like misses completely and yeah. everyone kind of turns around. Bloody awful if you ask me. <laughs> Here, Gladys, Tom, did you hear the one about the rushing oh, 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 woman and let me speak. Ask him what the candles are for. <laughs> you ask him. It's a pentangle, a five-pointed star. It's used in witchcraft. Lonchini Jr. and Universal Studios maintain that's the mark of the Wolfman. Oh, I see. And you want me to ask them if they're burning candles to ward off monsters? Right. <laughs> Wrong. All right, then. There was this aeroplane over the Atlantic on its way to New York. And it was full of men from the United Nations. Oh, <laughs> Go on, ask him. You ask him. So halfway over the ocean, the engines run low on petrol. 
so they have to lighten the plane. So they heave out all the baggage, but it's still too heavy. So they chuck out all the seats, but it's still too heavy. Finally, this froggy steps up, shouts, Vive la France, and leaps out. Then an Englishman, yeah. he steps up, shouts, God save the Queen, and he leaps out. But the plane is still too heavy. So the Yank delegate from Texas, he steps up, shouts, Remember the Alamo, and chucks out the Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> was making it one of his his key moments was the the transformation scene because i think he had worked out that you only ever saw little bits and pieces in of transformations um and it would be people with their backs turned or in dark lighting and you would see a hairy hand and then all of a sudden they're in their full makeup and then they would howl into the moon where you've got that total transformation and you see all the pain and you hear the bones cracking and stretching and absolutely one of the iconic moments from from horror so we we work in the same establishment and just quickly kind of realized how similar i think we are in terms of what we watch our intake our love of of comics although your knowledge of comics far surpasses mine our love of tv shows and streaming uh so we could easily stand after work and talk for well over like an hour an hour and a half so it kind of makes sense to share that banter via a podcast i think obviously you're on a mobile and i'm sitting in my bedroom with a, a zoom mic and we're doing this very kind of ad lib but you know, we we can't do things face to face, but just retaining that kind of banter that we would have after school and then sharing it with anybody that's willing to listen is quite nice. <laughs> what have you been doing since, obviously we're now on lockdown for another three weeks, and what have, what have you been up to? Yeah, reading comics. I have been going on the occasional walk. Fortunately, there's a park and a golf course just around the back from where I live. So, going for my daily exercise, um, drinking craft beer, because fortunately for me, my craft beer supplier, he's still open, so been doing that. And um, a lot of PlayStation, like an unhealthy amount of PlayStation, I would say. Like, days literally disappear when I'm playing whatever game it is, um, and I'll very quickly go from one game to the other because I'm not spending money on fuel going anywhere. So the fuel money is now going into 
stay sane and don't think about it money so um, yeah lots of video games probably too much but yeah the occasional bit of bacon reading my book and uh, yeah I'm, I'm handling this surprisingly well for the time being I was there was a part of me that was kind of hoping that once the three weeks is over they might relax a couple of things and I can go hill walking again but it's another three weeks and it is what it is you know if this is literally going to help save lives or put it make lives easier for um, supermarket staff or NHS staff or anyone that's still having to work at the moment, then, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can do my part and just park my ass on the sofa and just not move. I'll, I'll, I'll do my part. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, obviously we have to give a shout out to any NHS staff. My sister-in-law works for the NHS and she's doing a fantastic job and doing ridiculous hours under very difficult circumstances. So... Things like uh, applauding the the NHS, like fantastic things to do, you can get involved in that. People who are fundraising, my mum is uh, fundraising for for dementia. By, she she's doing a a marathon bit by by walking around. They live in a in a square. Well, it's called it's called the square, but it's actually a circle. I really don't know who, who came up with that. Um, so she's walking. She's walking around the circle, and I think she's done about uh, 10, 10 miles so far. Wow. So, so yeah, the idea that we just we stay safe, we stay secure, and as long as people do do their bit, I know that going shopping can be a bit of a nightmare if people don't necessarily play by the rules and things, and uh, obviously people trying to hoard stuff and, and whatnot. I think the toilet paper issue has slightly died down. Like you say, it's parking your, your bum on the sofa is enough to just do your bit and just think of other people yeah I, I've, I've seen it and I won't be the only one but there is there is a meme that has been going around for a while and you know people put it in a perspective we're not getting asked to go fight overseas we're not being conscripted to go fight a war or anything we've been told to stay home so it's far less uh, physical and mental game it's really I think more of a mental game but we've you know think of it this way how fortunate are we right now to have things like video call and you know to have such internet access and stuff i mean even 10 years ago when i was i suppose just finishing high school things like skype existed but i don't think even google hangouts or anything like that and even back then i think skype was pretty crap but you know we live at a point in time where this is probably one of the best case scenarios in terms of trying to keep in touch with people things like social media again i personally think social media is a bit of a double-edged sword it's good to be informed but you can be informed in the wrong way and things like that but it's good there's never been a point in time i think that we've been more connected and we kind of need that more than anything so um yeah God bless technology for the time being until yeah. it goes all Skynet on us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Skynet hasn't launched just yet, thankfully. <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, if you've got somebody you know, just reach out to them, you know, because I mean, that's, that's all we're kind of even doing in this. As, as you say, that much of it is can just be for your own your own sanity and just to have somebody to chat to and if one person listens to this brilliant if nobody listens to it then it still is helping me because it's given me face-to-face time and do banter with movies so so what are you thinking you you really want to know i'm thinking zombies what you know zombies Ghouls, 
the undead. Are you... You're trying to tell me... You're thinking zombies did this. Yep. Our first movie, which is The Dead Don't Die, directed by Jim Jarmusch. And I'm just going to tell people out there what the film is about if you haven't seen it. So in the sleepy small town of Centerville, something is not quite right. The moon hangs large and low in the sky. The hours of daylight are becoming unpredictable and animals are beginning to exhibit unusual behaviours. News reports are scary and scientists are concerned, but no one foresees the strangest and most dangerous repercussion that will soon start plaguing Centerville. The dead rise from their graves and feast on the living, and the citizens must battle to survive. Thank God you guys are back. Jesus, Cliff, do we really need all this stuff? What's all this for? We went by the hardware store. You know what happens. Hank and that hobbit kid Bobby from the gas station have locked themselves in over there. We tried to convince other citizens to join them, but with no success. Why? What's happening? Is it some sort of epidemic or what? It's zombies. What are you saying? Well, it's the undead. They've been reanimated. Caused by the Earth having been pulled off its axis. Caused by the polar fracking. But the authorities and energy people keep saying that's not true. Really? That is pretty much uh, a good introduction into, into the movie. I mean, we have another zombie film amongst a whole list of, of zombie films of, of, of recent, but we have a zombie film that is directed by a low-budget independent filmmaker, Jim Jarmusch, who started out in Ohio before he moved to, to New York and then studying at the, at the Tisch School of, of Arts. The, there's certainly a lot of influence that Jim Jarmusch has taken, I think, from from other zombie films i mean even just talking about the the atmosphere in center real doesn't seem to be quite right the there's something wrong with the the daylight everything seems to be longer i mean if i think about the night of the comet which was 1984 i mean in that you've got a comet which is a rare sighting everybody uh, throws parties to watch and see the comet and then some teams discovered the next again day who who didn't watch the comet arrive that they are the only survivors of a zombie attack and of course they encounter a whole list of kind of color characters uh, other survivors zombies and then mad scientists who believe that the cure lies with the teenagers so there's definitely nods to things like night of the comet dawn of the dead even humor coming from you know british references like Shaun of the dead and even more recent things like Zombieland. because i mean you one of your main stars is bill murray as chief Lift robertson and recently he's been in Zombieland one and two playing himself i'm not entirely convinced though that it is adding anything new in terms of zombie movies. 
No, I would I would agree with that um, to an extent. Your your exposure to zombie films will be far greater than mine. Any of the proper horror zombie films, I think I've seen bits and pieces of, or you know, it was so long ago that I can barely remember. I can remember things like Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland very vividly, but it's maybe because it's got more of a comedic edge. Like it's not it's not by any means supposed to be taken seriously. Ironically, during the end of the world kind of thing. I do like the sort of change of the reason, the cause for the the dead dying, because definitely in recent years, even when it comes to things like video games and things like The Walking Dead, even coming out of comic books again, is that it's a disease or it's something that lies dormant that triggers something and you essentially die, but your body is reanimated or if it's things like 28 days or 28 weeks later it's like a, a virus that makes you sort of rapid and yeah. you know, things like that whereas this was i think it's like a, a mining operation that's happening at the north and south pole and it like throws the earth off its axis yep. or like the, the or it changes direction yes which, which i always find kind of funny because whenever i hear right so the earth is going the other way so that means everything starts reversing it just makes me think of uh, superman when <laughs> Lois Lane dies and he like flies around the planet to like reverse time you're like oh god if there's any like theoretical physicists out there they'll be like flipping out and hitting the ceiling like oh. that's not how things work that's i i i i am sure that someone has done their piece PhD on whether you can change the direction of, of the Earth by flying around it uh, and uh, <laughs> seeing whether you can turn back time. If you, it, but hey, look, I mean, who am I to say? Because if, if if you can go back in time in the DeLorean, maybe there's something to say about Superman's method. That's a very good point. That is that is very true. I did. I quite like the setting. I mean, I've never actually been to the states myself, but I did like the the center of all setting. How things are very slow, kind of quiet. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's sort of business as usual. It's quite a small place. Everyone kind of knows everyone, apart from Tilda Swinton's character. She seems to be like a sort of newcomer, but I, I like her character. Are you in this together? I mean, this is really inappropriate. Oh, good grief! So the dead just don't want to die today, is that it? That's a shame. I had them looking so bonny. She's one of the few people to actually pull off a pretty decent Scottish accent as well. Um... I, th I thought, I thought, like in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't. It really wasn't that bad. It was a proper kind of West Coast, almost West region accent. So, her and Chris Pine from the Outlaw King, they have a, they have my respect for doing half decent Scottish accents because I've heard some absolutely woeful ones. But yeah, well, well, like the, the little Australian that uh, <laughs> do, do, do we mention freedom? <laughs> Which is which is kind of ironic because that's that's one of the the best references I think worldwide that people have of Scotland like oh yeah things like Braveheart like you know the Battle of Stirling Bridge and that film didn't have a bridge in it yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. Like that. Like, yeah I don't know but I was 
Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw walking. I think Chris Pine, even when he was being interviewed by Graham Norton, said that he put a fair bit of time into trying to perfect uh, the accent because I reckon maybe the Scottish accent's maybe a bit like Welsh or South African that if you don't get it quite right, it can sound like other things like Australian or, I don't know, Irish, or like something completely different. So, yeah. Uh, she, she done quite good. And yeah, no, I quite like the sort of sleepy town setting and then obviously worst case scenario happens. But it's, um, it's everyone's reaction as well to the, the sort of diner scene and they just kind of repeat the same thing like oh what do you think it was oh wild animals and you know they, they keep going with that because they've never come across anything like, like that like murders don't happen in center world like ever let alone you know people getting eaten essentially yeah. so yeah the only way to stop zombies is to kill the head Hank I know it's gruesome but complete decapitation. Doesn't matter if you use a machete, steel wire, hedge clippers, whatever. Just as long as the spinal cord is severed, right? And the head been cut off. Only way to kill the dead? I was looking forward to, to this film going in because I know that this was your first exposure to Jim Jarmusch yeah. but for me I watched Dead Man which came out in 95 so I was 15 uh, and that starred uh, Johnny Depp mm. and Gary Farmer very very funny and this was Jim Jarmusch's western about a, a nobody literally one of the characters is actually called nobody and, <laughs> and from there I then continued to watch Jarmusch over the years. I think my favourite will be uh, Ghost Dog with Samurai, which uh, Forrest Whitaker is in, because one of my favourite jokes that Jim Jarmusch has ever ever done is Forrest Whitaker, who is a hitman who lives by the, the Book of the Samurai in modern time. He is very isolated, he's very lonely, and his best friend is a French ice cream seller who doesn't speak English. But they go and they meet each other and they have these really in-depth conversations. Forrest Whitaker speaking in English and Raymond the ice cream seller speaking in French with something and it's funny because Ghost Dog pours his heart and soul out to the French ice cream mate and he kind of guesses at what Ghost Dog has been saying to him and actually the, he's he's always accurate and it's almost like they're having this conversation naturally through this barrier of language. But it's also but it's also funny because Raymond's like, I've got no idea what you're saying, but you know, if it's this and then that is what he's been saying. And it's just a lovely bit of characterization that always stood out for me. Because you've got lots of, in that movie you've got lots of stereotypes. You've got the, the mafia bosses and they are straight out of some sort of 1930s uh, James Cagney movie. Uh, but the relationship between Ghost Dog and, and Raymond is actually like it's, it's the centre for the, for the whole film. The way the samurai is found in death. Meditation on inevitable death should be performed daily. Every day when one's body and mind are at peace, one should meditate upon being ripped apart by arrows, rifles, spears and swords. Being carried away by surging waves, being thrown into the midst of a great fire, being struck by lightning, being shaken to death by a great earthquake, falling from thousand-foot cliffs, dying of disease, or committing seppuku at the death of one's master. And every day without fail, one should consider himself as dead.
This is a substance of the way of the samurai. I mean, this isn't the first movie he's done with either Adam Driver or Bill Murray. Um, this is his third movie with Bill Murray. I think they started with Coffee and Cigarettes, Broken Flowers. Adam Driver was in Patterson, which I think is available on Amazon Prime. The box office, not great. I mean, it was coming in at the tail end of 2019. It made 14.4 million. And I mean, it is, a, it is an independent movie and it was released by Focus uh, Features. I'm sure it will have made its money back but it's kind of a almost a bit of a disaster at the same time because it, out of all Jim Jarmusch's films this has got this huge ensemble cast and you have this zombie comedy horror but people weren't going to go and see it i mean i i saw the trailer i thought this looks good i'm really intrigued by this but for all those people that are in it you know 14 0.4 million just quite disappointing to see that more people didn't go and see it but then is that because it wasn't necessarily doing anything new yeah it's, it's a bit of a tricky one because i was trying to rack my brains where it was i actually saw the trailer and i don't think it was on anything like the tv i think i was just on youtube one day i saw the trailer and i thought oh well i saw the thumbnail and i clicked on it and yeah it was very much the, the idea like the trailer is really good like but it's i think it's one of those scenarios where it's kind of got the best the sort of best bits and the funnier bits in it um as well as the cast, like it has Tilda Swinton and Adam Driver, Bill Murray, and uh, Selena Gomez, Steve Buscemi, you know, lots of, lots of really big names, and then just getting a lot of sort of comedy, comedy bites and stuff, like it looks really, really funny. Oh, what in the name of Katsugon? Haven't seen or heard a bird in two days. It's already night out, it's five o'clock. Dear Lord in heaven, help us. Free cable. Oh, it's free cable. <laughs> But when you've got uh, a zombie Iggy Pop who is looking for coffee, when you've got a zombie Carol Kane who is looking for Chardonnay, um, <laughs> now I laughed at those moments. I, la I, you know, she walks out of the cell and she's like Chardonnay. <laughs> oh my God, she's alive? No, she's not. She's just undead. Chardonnay. Holy shit, did she just say Chardonnay? Yeah, she did. Look out, kids. Hey, little Mallory. Chardonnay. I got this, Cliff. Those were some pretty good cuts. You played some minor league ball, didn't you? Well, a, a little class A. It was a long time ago. Mindy, just remember to kill the head. Okay. And of course, Iggy Pop's walking around and he ends up with a coffee pot stuck in his hand and he's just like, coffee. 
But I know that those are, are just taken from George Romero because the whole point of like Dawn of the Dead is that people flock to memories that they have as zombies, they, they flock to the mall because that's where they spent their time and you know that's that's a film that is about capitalism and consumerism and I mean, it was it was 1978 for Dawn of the Dead you know so you're you're dealing with stuff that is been around for for a very very long time and even you mentioned like in the cast you've got like people like Selena Gomez I mean she's just playing the stereotypical teen you know you've got the three teens that, that get killed holy shit dude this is insane Maybe that Harry Potter guy at the gas station wasn't kidding, man. What about, about what? About to be in zombies around here? That's not even funny. Don't joke. It's really, really creepy. Authorities are warning all citizens to stay inside and keep all doors and windows locked and secured. Jack, lock the door, will you? Got you. But for now, this is Posey Juarez for Centerville 7 News. Stay safe and keep your eyes open. The stuff that Bill Murray did in Zombieland was much funnier than anything he did as the chief. I liked Adam Driver. I don't know if it was because of the Star Wars references. Yeah. Because, I mean, you... He's constantly walking around and he's saying, you ask me, this whole thing's going to end badly. And people will say to him, well, how, how do you know this? And he... And he just a feeling. And the one of the main reasons that Adam Driver was actually cast was so that they could have they could reach out to Star Wars because he was in it. Right. So they could actually oh, okay. get permission to use that that line, you know, because it obviously is so similar to got a bad feeling about this, yeah. which is in every single film. But then I think the the clever thing that he never he should have taken further was the breaking of the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah. Because at the start of the movie, they're sitting and they're listening to Sturgill Simpson who appears as a guitar zombie and also wrote the title song which is The Dead Don't Die and Adam Driver turns it up and Bill Murray's What's This? So he goes, oh it's the theme song um, and later on Bill Murray says you know how do you know things are going to end badly you keep saying this and Adam Driver's character Sir Ronnie Peterson says well I read the script didn't you? I liked those moments were they as effective as something like Deadpool or Fleabag? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. May I ask you a question? Sure, ask away. You have been saying that this is all going to end badly from the very beginning. Over and over. So what made you so fucking sure of that? How did you know everything in advance? You really want to know? Yes! I want to know! I really want to know! Okay. I uh, know because I've read the script. You... read the script. The whole script? All of it? Yeah, Jim gave me the whole script. He only gave me our scenes. I never saw a complete script. After all, I've done for that guy, and it's a lot that you don't even know about. What a dick. I do enjoy a good fourth wall break, and... 
the, the sort of conversation after um, Adam Driver sort of reveals that, like, oh, I've read the script, and Bill Murray's like, did you get the whole? Did you get a whole copy? And he's like, I just got my scenes. And like, yeah, I, I got the whole thing. Um, and then Bill has a bit of a, like, almost like a bit of a rant about oh, all the things I've done for Jim, and he only gives me my scenes kind of thing. I, I thought that was really funny, and I, I quite enjoyed that. But I know what you mean. There are certain films or TV series that breaks the fourth wall and it has far more effect or you know that that's, the, that's going to be the sort of running narrative for things like even Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, it's a fourth wall break, but there's almost no wall to break because that's the narrative, that's how the story's essentially told. Whereas this was kind of just put in, just sort of sprinkled here and there. And, I mean, that, that, was, that was the parts where I kind of laughed out loud. Like, I found it really, really funny. But the very last... The very last one, you know, I don't think the very last kind of fourth wall break, you know, where they kind of give away the ending a little bit, I don't think that had any kind of effect on me in terms of, like, a chuckle or anything. It was almost like it had been done maybe a little bit too much in the film prior. And then, yeah, I don't know, I think by that point in the film as well, I'd already expected potentially more to have happened, but, you know, there, there, there hadn't really. And, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it, like, I thought it was funny that Tilda Swinton's character, not only being Scottish, was essentially a samurai. And I was, since I kind of looked very briefly before we started recording the different films that he had done, a lot of things started making more sense. Obviously, Tilda Swinton, you know, had done the film with Tom Hiddleston, you know, as being a sort of vampire, and she kind of, she kind of looks pale and kind of like that. But the samurai, obviously, come, this element comes from the sort of ghost dog, and Iggy Pop craving coffee comes from him playing his part in coffee and cigarettes and things like that. Yeah. So there's obviously there are nods to the previous films that he had done before, which, to be honest, isn't, isn't that self-indulgent. I mean, you get people like Quentin Tarantino that always play a cameo in his own film, and sometimes they're really short, sometimes they're quite lengthy cameos. But you know, it, it was it, it was yeah, it was it was fine. It was quite funny, and you know, I understand those kind of references a little bit more but I, I really I really didn't know what to think it was a proper like what the hell moment when Tilda Swinton leaves in a spaceship like a UFO comes and picks her up like I don't think that really added anything to it I guess it was maybe supposed to be a sort of WTF moment but it was just it was kind of lost on me a little bit yeah. I think I kind of know what he was going for but it didn't get anything out of me like I didn't laugh I didn't think oh that makes sense it was just kind of a alright okay yeah. Weird, but enough. Try, here we go. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? I think I am. Was that in the script? No. Not the one I read. Unexpected.
I knew there was something unusual about her. Yeah, by that point, that was where he kind of just, for me, pushed it a bit too far because, yeah. like, you have this this amazing cast. You've got Tilda Swinton playing Zelda Winston, and yes, she is able to dispatch the dead. We, we've got the reference to uh, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, but we've also got the similarities with, you know, more recent things like The Walking Dead. One of the, the, the better effects was the idea that when she sliced into them or cut their heads off, the, it was dust. It was grey dust that came out. I like that. That was... That was something new that I, reminded me actually of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So when yeah. when Buffy would kill, they would explode into dust. Yeah. So where where Zelda takes out a zombie, they would go down in in this kind of dust cloud almost, which I thought was a good idea. The idea for this zombie movie actually originated with Tilda Swinton. She gave the idea to uh, Jarmusch when they were working on Only Lovers Left Alive, which is the the vampire movie, but. When the spaceship appears, it looks like they're going for that WTF moment, or is it a comment that in Hollywood with big budget movies that don't necessarily make sense or, or end in an hour long battle? Is it trying to say just go with it? It doesn't matter, just go with it. But I, I couldn't go with it. No, I, I couldn't either. It had no, no effect. I sort of struggled with the pacing of the film. Like it, it's a, like you said, it's a slow burner in terms of comedy, but I think it's a, overall just a bit of a slow burner as well. Like the story kind of a great deal doesn't happen. It's just a matter of business as usual. There's this underlying thing that the polar not the polarity, but the, the the Earth is going the wrong way, and you know strange things are happening, and that goes on for quite a bit before even you know Iggy Pop comes out of the ground. And I will say I did, I do quite appreciate the old school like the dead are rising I've kind of had it with the sort of 28 days later you know kind of virus attacks everyone turns them crazy kind of thing I've, I've kind of had it with that because I've seen it enough times in TV comics and modern zombie films I get it I, I totally get it it's, it's probably a bit more believe it's far more believable but you don't watch a film really to be soaked in reality. You kind of use it as a, for me anyway, you use a film as a form of escape. So, you know, that, that sort of hand coming out of the grave, you know, that sort of old school kind of zombie thing. Like, I really like that kind of imagery. But my original point was that the, the pacing of the film, and this is where I'm getting all trying to get analytical and creative, is that maybe the pace of the film was trying to mimic the movement of the zombie. Maybe it was supposed to move slow on that's, purpose. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good observation because i was gonna ask you did you feel it's, it was one of those movies that felt longer than it should have been oh yeah absolutely very, very much so like it really i don't know i think you probably could have achieved overall maybe 20 minutes off that because well, what was what, what do you know what the runtime was was it about an hour and a half or was it a bit more? Was it a bit longer? It was, it was longer. It was closer to an hour 45. Right, okay. So, yeah, I think maybe if they had shaved 15, 20 minutes off, it maybe would have... It probably, it probably would have helped the pacing, but then again, maybe there was a maybe there was a reason for it, or, you know, going back to 
Jeremy's style, but watching it, I kind of thought maybe there were some things that I missed. I haven't seen any of his films before. Maybe this is a lot more clever. Um, there's a lot more to it. It's just I'm, I'm not getting the the references. Just at the end of it, I was like, right, you know, the, the, there was really funny bits that I thought were really funny, but overall, there was some bits that just made no sense. It's like it's a Tom Waits character, there's yeah. like a hermit that lives in the woods. Hermit like, Bob, uh, who hermit Bob, that was it, yeah. basically walks about and steals chickens from Steve Buscemi's farmer Frank Miller who I mean even you know he he Steve Buscemi's character wears the cap that says keep America white again and it's like yeah we we get it we know the where that joke comes from but yeah Hermit Bob kind of observes people getting what they deserve while quoting from Herman Melville his character was a little bit kind of lost on me I guess all them ghost people plum lost their goddamn souls Lost and traded them away or sold them for gold or whatnot. New trucks, kitchen appliances, new trousers, Nintendo Game Boy, shit like that. Just hungry for more stuff. What a fucked up world. You've currently kind of had it with 100 miles an hour full paced zombies, you know, attacking. Are you wanting, because obviously this film goes back to that classic George Romero slow zombie. I've, I've always I, preferred that. I don't know what it is. I think if I'm going to get into anything, if I'm going to maybe take up a new sort of casual hobby or something starts to interest me, I like to go back to the origins as best as possible. So going back to the proper old school horror films and any any capacity and whether it's a vampire film or if it's a zombie film or you know if it's if it's horror we're talking about i prefer to go back to see the origins because i like to know where things started and why what inspired people and it's i you know a shout out to um adam Mankey who does the lore podcast like it's incredibly interesting and you know he does he does a fair bit of research into local folklore of where the origins of vampires come from, you know, things like that. But I, I like to know where things started. Um, I like to know why maybe that is a nod to another film or another thing that was done prior. And just, I think, as a kid, I really enjoyed things like Halloween and the sort of imagery of, you know, like hands coming out of the grave and, you know, you know things like that. But I, I totally understand, like, for a modern take on zombie films, like, it was probably the most logical thing that it was like some kind of pathogen or some kind of virus which just tipped people over the edge or gave them super rabies or you know whatever but then that trope started coming up more and more even if it wasn't like a full-blown zombie film if it was maybe just a, a part maybe not even like a quote-unquote zombie film maybe it was supposed to be like a disease-related film but i think from the old school zombie films that it wasn't the being chased element it was Oh, I think we're safe, you know, we're out of sight, you know, let's just try and get back to the other, and then, like, a hand would come out of the window or, you know, through the floorboards kind of thing. Yeah. It was more of a, oh, we can absolutely outrun these. It, it was more of a, you can run, but you can't hide. Yeah, no matter how fast you go with these classics, like Gone of the Dead, I mean, even, even Shaun of the Dead went for classic zombies. Yeah. So something that will always catch up, it will it will always be there. So you can you can run, you can find a hiding place, but there'll be something else there that'll catch yeah. up with you, or or the original person who's been stalking you, 
um, will will come for you. The the classic zombies where my heart lies, because even things like World War Z, where everything's aggressive, or I am legend, I'm less terrified by something that can run faster than the, the person that's trying to get away from it. This constant in the background, almost like a stalker, that's more fearful because it's, it's no matter where you go it'll be there one of the best horror films in recent years is it follows a unique take on the idea that you can never escape the horror that's in this film so it's, it's a sexually transmitted disease that is passed from person to person and an apparition manifests itself in any shape or form only the person with disease can see it and it slowly walks towards you and you can you can run and you can hide but it will always always just keep walking and it will always yeah. find you you could go on a plane to the other side of the world and you might be fine for a month two months but it'll find you and it'll catch you and if it gets you that's you and the yeah. only the only way out of it is to pass the disease on to somebody else do you have this people sleeping with people sleeping with people to to get out of you know, it's very influential from things like the the ring, and um, where you have to watch the video after seven days, pass it to somebody else. So I like the the slow burn. It's always gonna find you no matter where you are so yeah very much the the classic zombie so i liked that that take on it i liked the way that they were dispatched my favorite joke in it and it's one of it's really subtle rizza from the wu-tang clan is in this film oh, yeah. i mean yeah. rizza is in ghost dog where the samurai and he did music for the film as well so it's not the first time he's worked with jim, worked with jim jarmusch but he is a delivery driver um, yeah. and of course the big company in america is ups but because it's rizza it's not UPS, it's Woo-P-S. And, it, and it has the symbol of the Wu-Tang Clan on the van. And I, I just, for me, that's the jokes that I like from Jim Jarmusch. And I just thought stuff like that works so well. And that's that's for a Jim Jarmusch audience. And there is a lot there for fans of, of Jim Jarmusch. But if you're going into this movie expecting to see things that haven't been done before, other than Tilda Swinting returning home in her spacecraft, doesn't necessarily do those new things. Centerville, USA. A real nice place. Oh, here's a curious one. Hello there. Passion. I can assure you that is not your tartan. Nice neck, though. interesting because why infinity stones for your personal rating system because i'm really into my comic books my laura and i my 
fiance and I are rewatching the MCU films in chronological order. Um, so we just finished watching Age of Ultron, so Infinity Stones are starting to play more of a role. Plus, there's only six of them, and it's pretty close to a five-star rating, if you will. But yeah, I'm just going to go with uh, the, yeah, the Infinity Stones. It's it's almost like you're close to the five star rating, but I'm gonna do one better than the five star rating. <laughs> I feel I feel that you're turning the amp up to eleven, um, <laughs> like Spinal Tap. I'm gonna use chainsaws for my personal uh, rating system purely because since 1992 I've been obsessed with the Evil Dead trilogy. Anything to do with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, and obviously if you are a fan of Evil Dead trilogy, Army of Darkness, people will be. Familiar with the fact that the main character Ash uses a chainsaw after his hand is is cut off as a replacement. So I'm kind of sitting. Initially, I was at two, and then after I rewatched it, felt I need to be slightly more generous. So I I went for the three chainsaws out of five. I definitely agree with the idea that there are jokes that are set up that don't land or never appear. And Jim Jarmusch has a very kind of deadpan, slow burn humor. And there are things that I find mildly amusing, but I know that they've been done before. It's nothing, I'm not experiencing something unique. And normally when I watch a Jarmusch film, I'm seeing something for the first time. So when I see that relationship in Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, I laugh hysterically at when the subtitles come up and they're actually talking and as a normal conversation, even though they have no understanding what the either either one is saying. That to me is is genius. So we've heard what we think of the film. I think it would be good to see what other people think of the film. So if you can kick us off Duke. Yeah no worries. So Empire gave it three out of five stars commenting it's a lesser jaramush yes but it's still a jaramush I, I agree with the probably the scoring um, even though I, I give give out of six but I probably agree with the scoring but um, as I've mentioned before I've, I've not actually seen any other jaramush films yet I think I'm probably going to make a, an active point about seeing more so they seem to kind of lie right on you know start to sit right on the fence and they understand where where he's coming from in the style, but um, it's not as the best one that he's kind of came out with. Yeah, Empire are very good at sitting on the fence. Sometimes they they don't want to necessarily offend. I think they're aware that it's people who are familiar and like Jarmusch are going to like it. They're going to see elements that are similar from his previous films and just kind of go with it. And then that kind of average review is not going to necessarily turn people off, hopefully. But when you've got a film that is on wide, the widest release for a Jarmusch film, it's going to get attacked a lot more. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the Atlantic said, The Dead Don't Die is awfully lifeless. The, I can see where they're coming from obviously i gave it three chainsaws yeah. out, of, out of five that kind of statement certainly backs up how you felt in terms of the pacing that that yeah. slow s scenes that seem to go on forever that actually go nowhere or contain no joke that lands yeah. um yeah. but then you've got other scenes where you've got fantastic subtle little jokes littered throughout 
such as the the baseball cap worn by former Frank Miller, Keep America White again. Like I mentioned, the the WPS driver, and then the 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 fourth wall breaks that are quite nice, but don't necessarily get taken anywhere else. So awfully lifeless. It might be a bit harsh. The Telegraph were were more positive. They gave it four out of five and said it was a a winningly eccentric way to usher in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I, I think they are looking at it from perhaps kind of similar to our point of view, whereas that it's that classic take on zombies. It's something that we're now bored with zombies that can outrun us and easily find us. And actually we want to in a time where we're on lockdown and life and life has went to a standstill. This idea that we then slow down that movie, we slow down a classic zombie. I always remember the quote at the start of Night of the Living Dead, you know, I'm coming to get you, Barbara. As the the brother, uh, Barbara's brother, taunts her in the graveyard, pretending to be something sinister. And of course, something sinister is actually coming for them, which is one of the, the zombies that slowly walks towards them from the distance and eventually gets Barbara's brother. So I agree that it is enjoyable in, in parts. It, it says winningly eccentric, for Jarmusch, I would have liked it to have been more eccentric than what it was. Yeah. And maybe that's why some of the jokes don't necessarily land. I think it will be good if you if you are going to watch a bit more Jarmusch. Uh, I mean, I would definitely recommend Dead Man and Ghost Dog. Both of them are, in terms of humour and comedy, the humour in both those films is fantastic and completely outweighs anything that that is in this film. So... You've got reviewers who are being very unkind, and then you've got reviewers who are being average, so as not to kind of offend, I think, the independent market. Yeah, the sort of reviews that you found, I think I agree with each and every one of them for different reasons, whether they're for or against the overall film even the ones that we just discussed, but the one that I definitely agree with probably the most is from the New York Times, and they say that Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die respects the horror genre without really committing to it. Mm -hmm. I, I probably agree with that the most, but it's the not really committing to it part, which is where, I don't know, maybe more elements of, you know, lesser Jarmusch potentially comes in. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a comedy, so you know, it's a, it's not a strictly through and through horror. It's very much a, a zombie film, even though it takes quite a while for the zombies to kind of make an appearance. Because I know that there are zombie films that, you know, the undead start making, the undead or the infected start making an appearance right from the off, and maybe it's a flashback. So, you know, it, it kind of depends on the structure of the film, but. I think it does, and because there is so many different nods, not just to his previous films, but to other zombie films in it, I I would say that was incredibly apt, pretty pretty on the mark. But like you said earlier, what the Atlantic said said it was awfully lifeless. 
Yeah, I would I'd probably say that about the pacing, but I thought everyone played a pretty decent part. Like they played the part well. So, you know, Gomez played the teenager quite well. Hilda Swinton played the sort of outsider, slightly eccentric um, mortician quite well. You know, things like that. But um, I would agree with the New York Times on that one, yeah. And in terms of other zombie films, what for you, you know, what are you looking for? Or what, what stands out? Now, see, this is the, the tricky thing because I am a big fan of The Walking Dead, both the comics and the TV series. And, you know, the Robert Kirkman, the writer um, of the comic, you know, it's, it, it very much starts out as a sort of zombie apocalypse, but, you know, slowly over time becomes more of a sort of survival thing. So I think zombie films will eventually become a much broader genre and there'll be a lot more different sub-genres, whether it's comedy or if it's survivor or if it's contagion, you know, kind of based, like, what it is. But for me personally, if I'm watching, like, a, a proper, I don't know what I say, proper, in, in inverted commas, a proper zombie film, Dead Rising from the Grave, for whatever reason, people finding out who they really are, you know, preferably complete strangers who may come off as confident or, you know, really kind of terrified, and then they find out themselves when they're put under intense pressure, literally life or death, they find out who they really are. Usually there's got to be some douchebag in the group that has to eventually bite it, and hopefully... I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a little bit funny with endings. I'm not really sure if I... If I want the kind of Shaun of the Dead ending where the army come in and kind of shoot all the zombies and then things eventually get back to get, um, you know, things get back to the way they were, I think, again, it sort of depends on what kind of sub-genre of zombie film you're watching yeah. because things like The Walking Dead, I don't think there's ever going to be like a proper, oh, and this is where everyone else was the entire time. This is everyone survived and, you know, we're going to build the governments back up and things will go back to the way they were. It's, I'm a bit funny with endings. I think it really just depends on the context of the film. But dead coming out of the ground, people under life and death pressure, figuring out who they are, preferably in a confined space, like not this kind of hopping around the con like any kind of country. Like it has to, for me, take place in a confined space, like a shopping mall or a small sleepy town. Because yes, so that that yeah, it's a bit more grounded. Yeah, so that that's one thing that. I think that Jarmusch definitely gets right is that the setting of Centerville and you've got within that the eccentric characters that you would hope for. They kind of know each other, but within that they, you've got strangers who end up coming together as well, as well as the kind of friends. The For me, I want something unique that has happened in the world to make them the zombies. One of the standout films in recent years it's a film called Pontypool, and you've got the confined setting of a of a radio station, okay? Um, okay? And it's pretty much two rooms. You've got the booth of the radio station, and then you've got the kind of office of the radio station. And the way that the zombies are created is that it's a word that is repeated on the airwaves by the presenters of the radio show. You don't find out what the word is, but people start change people start to become zombies people start to get drawn towards the radio station and it's very much what you don't see 
it lands really well because you've got people phoning in and reporting incidents that are happening and you've got the disc jockey who won't go off the air and is trying to figure out what is happening and it's it's because of this word that is getting repeated it's not necessarily a, a virus that has been created in a lab so it tries to add something kind of new to but still within the same kind of per, uh, parameters of what you would find in a zombie film and it's got comical elements but it's not necessarily like a, a comedy the it's certainly got a serious kind of tone to it i'm also drawn to the over the top slapstick so because growing up in the in the 90s you had a lot of kind of gory films you had a lot of sequels and things like that and a lot of people forget that peter jackson started out in horror with uh, bad taste but of course he made his own zombie movie in brain dead which is uh, still one of my favorite zombie films because of how over the top it is i mean only only peter jackson could have a zombie baby and it be both hysterical and frightening at the same time and legendary moments like uh, a a priest who knows kung fu who jumps into the scene and says to a bunch a horde of zombies i kick ass for the lord and that's a terrible new zealand accent i apologize if there's any new zealanders listening um but when you've got a final set piece of one guy taking out a town of zombies with a lawn a lawnmower that is just phenomenal it's funny you've got that kind of hero moment in the film as well you know because he's he's really doing it to to save his girlfriend and also to stand up to his mum and it's got some gross out moments in it completely gross out moments for me in terms of formula classic zombies nothing that can find you catch you the slow chase the slow burn the 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 sleepy setting but also we're not necessarily going to take it 100 percent serious because it is still a zombie film so that humor in the background as well because i mean even even dawn of the dead the remake had great humor in the in the rooftop scene where so this was Zack snyder's remake in 2004 where as a game they are looking at the crowd of zombies that are trying to get into the mall and one person will find a zombie that looks like a celebrity and they will say you're looking for steve buscemi and then they look through the sights of the gun find the zombie that looks like steve buscemi and blow his head off and it's it's horror but undercut with this humor that's fantastic so if you can get the humor right if you can land the humor in a zombie film like Shaun of the dead got the humor right because i mean that's a love letter to george romero but also so many amazing british films and kind of classic feeling comedies as well so get the slow zombies get the get the comedy horror element right and for me you're on to you'll always be on to a winner in terms of zombie films no, that sounds good. I would, I would happily watch a zombie film with that formula as well. <laughs> no, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty on point. Yeah. So, what are we going to be doing next time? So next time, uh, I made the suggestion of us having a wee look at Knives Out. I think it was out 
that was at the start of this year. I think it's a 2020 film. If not, end of last year, I think. Sort of murder mystery film. Daniel Craig. Oh God! In fact, the cast is ridiculously good. That's two ensemble casts that we'll have looked at then in a row because the the cast here is phenomenal as well for the dead don't die. Have you got any yeah. podcasts you want to give a shout out to as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I only listen to quite a few. Um, I, I'm starting to learn things about myself that I'm incredibly picky when it comes to pretty much anything. So not even just films and TV, but um, I would give a shout out to Lore, uh, L-O-R-E by Aaron Mankey. That's um, just incredibly interesting and there's hundreds of episodes. Um, you can never go wrong with uh, Stuff You Should Know. Josh Clark and Chuck Ryan that they talk about anything and everything and um, Josh Clark from Stuff You Should Know uh, also done a, a limited series about existential crises, crises, crises called The End of the World with Josh Clark and it's not as morbid as it sounds it is actually far more interesting and talks about things like AI and uh, vacuum decay and big sort of universal you know, scaled the things that could potentially happen, might never happen, might have happened before. So it's, it's all just very quite sort of science-y based. They talk to philosophers. So, yep, End of the World with Josh Clark. If you should know with Josh Clark and Chuck Bryan and The War with uh, Adam Mankey. Definitely good, worth a listen. Good choice. For me, because it's a, a film and kind of TV-related podcast, then... I've got to give a shout out to Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo's film uh, podcast, which comes from their their radio show with the BBC, cool. which is on um, once a week and available via iTunes or, or for podcasts, depending on what your device is. Also, dramas like Homecoming, and um, people will be familiar as well with the kind of journalistic investigation that was S-Town. That is a fantastic podcast. I think it's about seven episodes long that just hooks you in from, from the start. Yeah, so that's my three. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, I, might, uh, I might give a few of them a listen, actually. It's been pretty interesting. So, waiting my horizons, as it were. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you've got awesome. the time. You've definitely yeah, got the time. time. If there's anything I've got tons of, it's time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would just like to say, if anybody is listening, thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, no, uh, much appreciated, and hopefully you stuck with us through to the end and got something out of it, hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. If, if not, then it was definitely brilliant for my sanity. So yeah. you've been listening to Doug and Pick's bad, yet surprisingly good film and TV club. We will be doing Knives Out next time, so please comment below tell us anything that you would like us maybe to discuss subscribe if you want to and that's it from from me i feel like i should i should be leaving on a quote or something but it's it's like the only thing that that, that, that comes to my mind is from guy Ritchie's lock stock and two smoking barrels which is when vinnie jones walks up at the end and puts down the bag on the table and he says i'd just like to say one more thing it's been emotional. The Shakespearean actor that is Vincent Jones. <laughs> no, I like that, yeah. Let's end with that then. That's good. It's okay. been emotional. <laughs> Until next time, Duke. See you later, Catch you later. Guys.
Shouldn't we be telling each other that it's all gonna be okay? That this will all go away like a bad dream? Ronnie? Gee, Mindy, I'm not sure I can say that. Cliff? Please? It's all gonna be okay, Mindy. Maybe it'll all just go away like a bad dream. I doubt it. Oh, the dead don't die Any more than you or I They're just ghosts inside a dream Of a life that we don't own They walk around us all the time Never paying any mind To the silly lives we lead for the reaping we've all sown There's a cup of coffee waiting on every corner Someday we're gonna wake up And find the corners gone But the dead will still be walking around This whole world alone Cause After life goes on There'll be old friends walking around In a somewhat familiar town That you saw once When you looked up from the phone Nobody bothers saying hi And you can save all your goodbyes Stop trying to pretend That we're all not at home And the streets look so empty in the morning There'll be no For the lights to shine down on But the dead will still be walking around And this whole world is long Cause after life is over The afterlife goes on Hearts break when loved ones journey on At the thought they're now forever gone So we tell ourselves They're all still around us all the time Oh, we're not forgotten Just memories left behind
But the dead will still be walking around in this world alone. I'm laughing, life is over. The afterlife goes on. I'm laughing. 